0: In the distance, I can see it! Next aid station! Welcome to episode 13 of Age Station. Uh, still playing a bit of catch up at my end. Um, This is yet another Dragon's Back special episode and it's all about day two, which is uh, Nant Gwynant to Dol Gethlau. And at last I managed to team up with Lizzie Gatherer and the pair of us were able to take on this route over two days. And it took us through the, from southern Snowdonia, down over the Mullwinds and the Rinogs and was another great wrecky day. On top of this, um, in the interim period, I'd been up to see and interview Rachel Nichols of Free To Be Kids, my chosen charity for the Dragon's Back Race 2021. This was a great interview with Rachel and I'd really love it if you'd listen all the way through to this interview with Rachel because there's some really important stuff in there about how we can help children in inner cities to get more in touch with nature and all the good work that Free To Be Kids do and if you'd like to make some sort of small donation please go to virgin money giving forward slash kevin munt number one and that's just the number one please feel free to make a donation i'm sure you can find me on the virgin money giving page say hello Lizzie.
1: Hello Lizzie. <laughs>
0: at last we have got to a proper Dragon's Back recce, we were supposed to do this in uh, November last year, uh, we had a couple planned and then one in January and of course Covid put pay to that and then other things took over, different schedules but at last we're here and we're going to do it. Hooray, <laughs> right. yeah. Oh good morning. Uh, we have just driven up from Clamberis, where we stayed in the bunkhouse for the night, and we have driven down to Nank past Kling the lake, um, and have parked down at the western end of the lake, which is where the original campsite was for the end of day one uh, in 2019. Uh, But the new campsite is at the western end of the lake. Um, So we've headed back up the road about a mile and a half to the point where the footpath leaves the road which is right next to the lake about midway along the lake uh, and heads up towards Connect which is what we're going to do now. Um, And when I say we I'm talking about Lizzie Gatherer and myself and we're going to trek out and do the first part to the checkpoint of day two, um, which is uh, about two thirds of the actual route, actually, just below the Roman steps. If you've got the map, at a place called I think it's um, forgotten the name of it, Cambrin or something. Um, and then t- we're heading over towards Harlech tonight to stay the night, and then coming back to that point to restart. Tomorrow morning. So we're going to head on up to Connect now um, and I'll give you a report which is where checkpoint one is. When you uh, come off the road from the camp, turn off onto the public footpath, it uh, treks up off the path pretty quickly in a direct line. The path zigzags. Uh, it's way up but the route takes a direct linear line straight up into a bit of a forest, run through the forest then you come out into open ground and you're at the foothills of Connect as it were. Um, and then you run out there and then start climbing your way up to Connect and the ground's all broken, quite rough going really. No clear trod once you get onto Connect all the way out to where we are now at Mowlin Moor. So you joined us again at Checkpoint 2 at the top of Molwyn Moor and we're 2,570 feet up or 770 metres. I didn't report anything after Checkpoint 1 which is Connect because we were in cloud, rain and clag and it was really windy. It's still a bit breezy up here now, there's no visibility much at all, probably about 50 metres. But no views, unfortunately. So we will press on now to Molwyn Bach, which is checkpoint three. Well, we're now at the top of Molwyn Bach, which is checkpoint four, I think. I've been up and down it twice because I'm a numpty. I took a P down the bottom and left the map on a rock down at the bottom, got all the way up here, and then realised left the map. So... I decided to do hill repeats on Mulwyn-Bach today. And I couldn't possibly press on without Sabrina Virgie next to my heart, (laughs) which is where I keep the map. (laughs) And we're at the Festiniog Railway line, which is checkpoint four. I think I said I was already at checkpoint four in the last report, but we were still at the top of (laughs) Mulwyn-Bach. And we've come down off Mulwin back and it's all broken ground. You can't really get any speed up. Um, and you finish off by coming out round a lake by a dam and down through some broken ground and rock and a load of bracken, which should be quite high by September. Um, but hopefully somebody else will have beaten the path through it by the time I get here. Um, and then we're heading off to checkpoint four and I think we're staying quite low now for the rest of the day, uh, uh, heading off to checkpoint five, sorry, uh, which means crossing the Vasteniog railway line. And the sun is now out, the clouds all lifted, which is typical. We had some nice views actually coming off the top and it's all set fair for a beautiful afternoon. Sun's out, guns out. Well, for Lizzie anyway. (laughs) We've um, just come through Checkpoint 5, which is on the large dam at the lake. I haven't spoken to you since we went through Mantra Rog, which is down by the river after the Blind Afastiniog Railway, where we saw the steam train, which is very exciting if you're into steam trains. And uh, you basically climb up from Mantra Rog up on the road all the way quite a long road tarmac section but small quiet roads obviously, hardly anybody on it Um, and through some forest at the top out over the dam and now we're just out into the open countryside again heading down towards Kumbukian which is the um, the support point for day two Um, so we've got checkpoint six and checkpoint 7 is the support and but they're right next to each other, close to each other anyway. So, it's a lovely day, and it's cooler up here. It was really hot down in Mantarog and on the tarmac, but it's nice bit of a breeze up here. And how far in are we? Uh, we've done 19 miles so far. 7 hours and 6 minutes with quite a bit of faffing around getting lost and going up and down the mountain twice but but, uh, probably knock an hour off of today hang on a sec just got to look at my watch absolutely useless without GPS every time I put this thing on I get lost because I'm not paying attention And now I'm lost again. It's funny, we're on a trail, which is what you tend to do, just poop along the trails as if they're the way to go. Um, And they often aren't. So, turning round, heading back. So, live action, getting lost on the 8th Station podcast today. I have to say that the countryside, outside of here, looks absolutely horrendous, so... If we've got to wade through that, come off the track, it's going to be very pleasant. It's all uh, bilberry and bracken and marsh grasses and probably bog. Well, we've arrived at the uh, checkpoint and checkpoint seven and the um, aid station as it were for day two of the dragon's back race uh, it took nine hours and 34 minutes so we'd have been cut off we made quite a few nav errors on the way over little bits and pieces here and there the last time i spoke to you we, we were in the middle of one which probably cost 10 minutes or something that's our. that was after checkpoint four or five the one where, the, where you cross over at the dam and you don't go into the Celtic Forest, I and mean, we though there's no Celtic Forest there at all. There's a sign saying that, but don't go through the gate there. You follow round the um, edge of a water collection uh, gully for quite some distance, probably about a kilometre or so. Um, but anyway, it was um, oh, it's really mixed, broken terrain, lots of rock, uh, lots of boggy areas, tufted grass. Nowhere that you could really get in uh, a lot of running Um, There were a few tracks that we were able to run But uh, certainly if you're behind the time um, Or trying to play catch up to get into this uh, support point You are going to be unlucky I think Because it's very difficult to make up anything From checkpoint 5 down to checkpoint 7 So um, that's today done, we're off now to try and uh, probably got a five mile hike into Harlech where we're staying and then we'll start again tomorrow morning back up here at Kumbuchen, Kumbuchen the uh, support point uh, to start the second half of day two. Um, So I'll get back on and report on that when we get back there, you can probably tell I'm tired. (laughs) and uh, feeling it a bit to be honest so I'm hoping that I can pick up some time uh, in the actual race I've probably I've probably messed about got lost and various things that will have cost me an hour anyway but even to get into this checkpoint with an hour to spare is um, not a lot especially if you're gonna take some food change any clothing or change your shop socks or something dry your feet you need a quick turnaround to get back if you're a mid to back packer, especially the back of the pack. Anyway, see you tomorrow. As I mentioned in the first Dragon's Back uh, special that I did, um, I am running on behalf of Free to Be Kids, a charity based in London, a very small charity that have um, four soon to become five staff. I'm really, really keen to help them out as much as possible as I can in the future, because I really do believe that uh, getting children into nature is a very key to our future, the future of this. Planet and the future and mental health of children in these difficult situations in the inner cities. So, here is that interview with Rachel. Hope you enjoy. So Rachel, um, what do you feel is the thing that the children would most find different about their life in London, living in London and being out in the countryside in terms of sounds and ambience and the environment?
2: Yeah, well I think, I mean, you can hear all the noise at the moment. London just never stops, does it? So you can hear all the buses and the cars on the road going past. And I think for many of our children that live in very built up areas, that soundtrack has just become a kind of constant within their lives yeah. and so one thing they always talk about is the peace and quiet of the countryside yeah. but also I think you know um, lots of children find the, the sort of new noises that they hear really um, memorable as well so going to the sea and listening to the noise of the sea coming in and out uh, going to the farm and hearing all of the different noises that the different animals make. Yeah. Um, hearing a donkey for the first time is often quite
0: memorable. <laughs> yeah. I, see, I hadn't even thought of that. And I guess like an owl hooting and yeah. things like that would be really yeah, quite different exactly. to listening to a, a police siren or an yeah. ambulance or emergency vehicle, yeah, yeah. and the buses.
2: I think the other part of the kind of soundtrack to their time on Free To Be is often the kind of singing that happens as well. So oh, wow. sitting around oh, the campfire or singing or singing along to the music on the bus, you know, right. all, that really creates a real sense of um, belonging mm. and kind of being part of a kind of family together. Yeah. Which what really
0: sort magical. of songs do they sing? Because I always imagine that their background music is very urban and rap or... Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs>
2: Well, they often they all love having the radio on so uh, yeah. often whatever is kind of the song of the moment is on the radio and and quite quickly that will be sort of adopted as the one to sing in the minibus right. um, but we've, we've had some fun with sort of campfire songs as well so yeah. um i remember uh, back when we were last able to do some camping trips this uh, summer 2019 we sang uh, there was an old lady who swallowed a fly around the campfire and There were several of them just collapsed in absolute hysterics (laughs) at sort of the different things that were going on in the song.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I suppose if you've never ever come across that song it would be hilarious yeah Yeah. yeah.
2: (laughs) we often we do we do talent shows sometimes with the children some of them are amazing singers and so on the last morning at breakfast or you know on the last night we'll put on a talent show and they'll stand up in front of the group and perform um and i think you know to have the affirmation of all the other children and all of the adults there, sort of applauding them and really being blown away by their singing is hugely transformative for those
0: yeah because that's another side of it i guess um like just having the confidence to stand up in front of others and perform as it were yeah I I don't know if they get that at school so much do they With things like drama or
2: I, I wonder whether part of the challenge at school is that sometimes if you're the naughty kid in the class or you're the child that everybody expects to not do very well yeah you mustn't want to stand up very much, no. whereas um, hopefully if we've done our job well over the week they're with us, children get a real sense of being valued and, and special and kind of uh, knowing that they're, that they're not going to be met with a sort of rejection when they stand up and do things when they're with us. Yeah. And so I think that really helps them to find the courage yeah. to do it.
0: I think the other thing as well is it if you go out into the countryside where everything is new to you, it levels the playing field doesn't it so everybody is at the same level in terms of learning how you not literally survive but get by in the in the countryside is totally different to an urban environment
2: yeah exactly and and often the children when they first come to us they won't know anybody else on our projects and so they have the opportunity to kind of have a blank sheet you know we obviously have some information about them but we only share what it's what it's important practically for the volunteers yeah. working with them to know okay. so often children arrive with us and the information on the referral form has suggested that they might have lots of behavior challenges and they might really struggle with certain things and we just don't see that side of their character at all because nobody is expecting to see that of them and they're in an environment where those kind of difficult kind of communications of the world being quite difficult at the moment don't come out because they're supported
0: yeah that's fantastic and do the children are they literally meeting each other for the first time as well or are they known amongst the group or
2: so often this once they've been on a few of our projects they'll begin to know lots of people and and they'll know lots of our volunteers but the first time they come on a gateway project with us there may be one or two other children from their school uh, Mm -hmm. on the project with them right but uh, many will come knowing nobody, nobody. so yeah. we've obviously done some work in advance and, and kind yeah. of got to know them a little bit over the phone. And, and
0: do they develop a friendship out of being on a free to be kids adventure?
2: Yeah, usually Yeah. 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 Um, it's very rare that there's um, you know, children that don't find, find their little mm. uh, group of other children to support them and they all end up uh, feeling uh, very supported by the mm. adults as well so yeah. uh, where we do get the odd child that really struggles with interactions with peers and maybe isn't quite at a stage where they're able to manage that independently, yet we find ways to ensure that there's an adult with them the whole time and that Mm -hmm. they're building that relationship and doing that kind of Mm -hmm. sense of togetherness with the adult.
0: Yeah, that's fantastic. And the adult obviously helps them to get to know each other as well, I guess. Integrates the group as well. Exactly,
2: and helps solve the little disagreements that crop Mm. up. Often, our children come with this idea that if something goes a bit wrong, if they sort of uh, explode and lose their temper, that that's kind of it. They've blown it, and nothing will be right Right. again. And so, having adults around who can say, Mm. "Well, you know, we just we just move on from this," and yes, and and there's ways to repair things, and it's Mm -hmm. everybody makes mistakes, and we just uh, kind of Mm. move forward uh, is really helpful. we set it up was because mike and i had both worked uh in therapeutic teams in big secondary schools in very disadvantaged areas of london and so we worked with the school and had a team ourselves of social workers and youth workers and others who would support the children and their families who were most in need so we would um in many cases, be providing six, seven, eight interventions a week, helping mums to budget, going along to social services meetings, providing therapy for children, um, helping children access after-school activities that they wouldn't otherwise. And as well as that, the school themselves would provide free school meals, mentoring, homework help. And then all of a sudden, when it got to the school holidays, all of that support would drop away because the school would shut and um, we were particularly concerned about groups of those children who had gone from having a huge amount of of support around them to nothing at a time of year which is often particularly stressful and so we came up with a with a way of uh, working with those children particularly intensively over the summer both to give them an opportunity to try all sorts of new activities and to um, find ways to uh, build their confidence and access um, additional support and also at the same time to give their families some respite as well um, and the idea was that we would offer these uh, therapeutic residential breaks uh, where we would take children out into the natural environment and give them a chance to um, try things that made them feel brave and adventurous and that were really new to many of them kayaking across a lake or camping out under the stars and uh Because those things feel new and different and and children get a sense of accomplishment when they achieve them, we found that it really helped to change the narrative that particularly vulnerable children had. So often children who've experienced huge amounts of trauma and um, difficulties in their lives see themselves as quite set apart from their peers. So they see themselves as failing somehow or naughty or, you know, somehow very different. Why are all these bad things happening to me? And so... Then being able to find the courage to get on a horse and ride it through the woods or uh, to help their friends to uh, climb up a climbing wall actually helped children to, to discover a, a richer sense of who they were, wow. that actually there were things they were amazing at that they might never have known yeah and so uh, providing those opportunities and putting lots of adult volunteers around the children to help them discover that and see that and kind of reflect it back Mm -hmm. has just been amazingly effective and that's really what free to be is is built on so we run these projects where children have those experiences we get to know them in, in in the way that many professionals just don't have the opportunity to so in five days of coming on a residential with us children spend more time with our adults than they would in a year's worth of home visits from a social worker or therapy uh, sessions with a therapist so we get to know them and then from there we can do lots of ongoing work where it's needed
0: that's brilliant I I guess they also get a sense of um, not just being themselves but where they fit you know if they're helping teammates as it were climb walls or You know, ride horses or whatever the adventure is, that they're a part of a team doing it rather than an individual
2: exactly and and for so many of our children they are so isolated you mm-hmm. know particularly this year with covid but even before that these are often children that st- struggle with social interactions with other children with adults they find it hard to trust new people again because this narrative in their head often says well i must mustn't be likable if if everything's gone wrong and if mm-hmm. my dad's left or if um you know we've had to move house eight times in the past two years it must be something to do with me and, and mm-hmm. so, you know, helping children to build friendships and to, to be helpful and, and to, to see that other children and adults mm-hmm. actually really enjoy spending time with them yeah. is really transformative for them when they go back to school and go back home and are back forming relationships with peers outside of our projects.
0: Right. And so how many... Types of projects or what are the different types of projects that you undertake?
2: Um, so every child comes initially on this five day residential trip that we run, which is called a Thrive Outside Gateway Project. So um, that is our chance to do the assessment work with them, figure out what they need and also build trust both with them and their and their family. Often these are children and families who've had lots of negative interactions with um professionals and and services and so we come in as something a bit different we're providing a holiday on the surface of things but actually mm-hmm. by stealth what we're doing is all the, the work that, that the child needs to support <laughs> they don't realize that's going yeah. on which is great so after that five-day project we then look at, at what the child's ongoing needs mm-hmm. are so some children will then have mentoring so usually that's with a volunteer they've worked alongside on the residential mm-hmm. so they and the mentor have already got this five-day um sort of journey that they've been on together in common which is great common ground for then starting a long-term relationship so we find that um, very rarely do mentoring relationships break down because there's all that stuff already to talk about and so Mm -hmm. children and mentors will come up with some aims of what they want to do together and, and go off and design weekly or fortnightly sessions to do those things close by to where the child lives we then run something called our Journey Projects, which is for older young people with really quite complex needs. And they come back four times over a year. And the work that they do with us, it's similar to the um, the Gateway Project in that there's lots of outdoor experiences and, and chances to do these new and fun, exciting activities. But it's also designed to really stretch their comfort zone. So um, we push them to do things that they would... Uh, that they probably to begin with think are, are, are going to be impossible. So they'll, mm. they'll go caving uh, for a day wow. or they'll, they'll yeah. build a shelter and sleep out in it overnight or oh, fantastic. Um, yeah. Go on a, a you know a 20 mile kind of kayak mm-hmm. or whatever and um, those experiences then create lots of lots of talking points really around sort of what felt difficult what was mm-hmm. the challenge how how together they overcame the challenges and we then facilitate lots of sessions where the, the young people sit round with us and and share thoughts on what each other have done well and and, and what they mm-hmm. found uh, challenging and how they've overcome the challenges and so over the year the group gets a real close bond and and we find that young people really sort of uh, begin to open up much more than often they ever have before and that then translates back into other areas of their lives where they're facing lots of challenges too and mm-hmm. uh, many of them have said that they feel much more able to ask for help in school mm-hmm. or from mm-hmm. social workers or youth offending workers and things and mm-hmm. um, so that's a really powerful one. And then the other um, piece of work that we do is, is just offering respite to children that just need that ongoing support from us. Mm-hmm. So many children started work with us when they were eight and they might now be 14, 15. Some of them are young leaders who come back mm-hmm. and volunteer oh, with oh, us fantastic. through until they're adults. So they
0: act, once they're in touch with 3 to be kids, they can go through their young life, as it were. Still connected.
2: Yeah, and and we're a small organisation and we're very keen to really grow that work. So at the moment there's some limits on that because of the size of our team and the capacity we've got, but we're sort of madly fundraising to Mm -hmm. employ more staff to allow us to provide more and more of that long-term work because we know that that's what really works for the children that that need it.
0: And from my perspective, the reason I've got involved or want to help is really um, driven out of the fact that I think... One children are becoming detached from nature and and the natural world a lot more, and obviously particularly in London in the inner city areas of London, but generally, you know, even yeah. those that live out in the countryside or the suburbs are spending a lot of time on devices rather than yeah. being out in the countryside, um, and also that we have this massive um, planetary issue <laughs>
1: yeah. over
0: how um, we are just becoming massive consumers. Um, and we're leaving this problem to the children in the future. Mm. So uh, do you have any feedback or anything that's come out of children's connectivity with nature and how they feel? You know, I wonder how a child who lives in a tower block feels about the planet or whether they even think about it when they've got so many other problems going on in their lives, whether that's part of something...
2: Yeah, I mean, I think particularly we've, we've continued to work with children this year over the pandemic. We've, we've been really limited, so we've not been able to run residentials, but we have been able to still get children out for, uh, experiences in the natural world without overnight stays involved Mm -hmm. and I think one thing that's really apparent is just how you know children with worlds that were already very constrained Mm -hmm. and kind of uh, very much focused in on kind of four concrete walls and and an inner city built up environment Mm -hmm. have had their experiences of the natural world constrained even more. So, you know, one little boy told me back last July that the only time he'd left home other than coming on his trips out with us had been to go to Aldi with his mum. Yeah. um and that had been you know three months and that, that had been his yeah. only experience David. of the outside world Gosh. so you know when you think about the amount of of, of nature and um mm. sort of uh the natural world that children see when that's their life it's mm. so so limited yeah. children who come away with us most have never seen the sea before most have never seen a cow up close yeah. um you know we take them to milk goats and um mm. you know uh hunt for eggs on the farm and it's a completely new experience similarly I
0: guess they don't even know where their food comes from anyway that's it you know we took
2: we took some of them uh fruit picking and and to a pick your own farm last a couple of years back um and one of them uh dug up a well was digging up potatoes and also picked a great big marrow and they were kind of blown away by the thought that this stuff coming out of the out of the soil was food um and so I think, you know, that's really important because I think it you you can really see children begin to question much more when they're actually in the natural environment. And mm-hmm. talking about, you know, we've had lots of conversations with children about um, sort of diets and, and whether it's whether they should eat meat and things. Children mm-hmm. coming and, and asking about eating meat once they've visited a farm and, you know, as having to have kind of. Really open conversations without us pushing any kind of agenda, but helping them to understand the issue wider. Yeah. Similarly, older children have talked to us quite a lot about um, sort of uh, waste and the amount of um, the amount of plastic that's um, that's produced and what what their role can be in in changing that. And, oh wow!
0: Um, well, it's great that they're getting some message about that in saving yeah. them, even in these really difficult lives they lead. Yeah. There's something getting through.
2: And I think that message does get across at school. Mm. But for our children, I think often the difficulty is that if you've not experienced the amazingness of of the natural Uh, environment, it Mm. sort of goes in one ear and out the other. But then when you Mm. take the children camping overnight and they stir up at the stars or they climb mm. up a hill and see the sunset at the top of the hill it suddenly brings this stuff into perspective yeah, absolutely and I, and I suppose it also makes it relevant because many mm. of our children uh, who've never left their local area mm. don't feel like the natural world is a place for them but suddenly mm. when they when they have great experiences there and see that it is their place mm. there's a sense of responsibility then about about looking after it
0: it really struck me I think I read it on your website about um a child who'd seen the waves for the first time at the yeah. sea, and it hadn't—I hadn't even considered that, you know, a child had never seen the movement of the sea. Yeah, and it's quite a, you know, a surprise. It must yeah. be a real revelation to them and an excitement. Yeah, I guess. And to be able to jump in those waves would be even better. <laughs> yeah. So how does? Um, because you're you have a, um, I don't know if it's a business partner or Mike. Anyway, Mike yeah. G. Um, Who's obviously deeply involved with this as you are? Is there a background about adventure or things that he does or that you both do that um, you want to get the children out there?
2: Yeah, well, I suppose so. I suppose both of us have got a love of the outdoors. So Mike is uh, the reason he's not here with us at the moment is because he's currently doing a sponsored kayak down the Y to raise raise some money for us. So he's oh, brilliant. Um, somewhere off grid at the moment doing yeah. that and, and my love has always been um, riding horses and getting outdoors on horseback and mm-hmm. so we've both brought that those passions and also a love of camping and and just mm-hmm. a appreciation of the natural world um, i think also when we've we've both had a career working with vulnerable young people mm-hmm. and what we've seen is that um, when we've been involved in in work with young people if you look at some of the activities that are readily available to do, whether that's, you know, going to the fun fair or going bowling or going to the cinema, mm. lots of those sorts of, um, less, uh, natural focused activities just don't have the same level of, um, of, uh, benefit built in so Mm -hmm. um what we find about activities that involve nature and animals and and sort of growing and things like that is that one they really capture children's imaginations Mm -hmm. and there's something really outside their usual life but two they're also quite relational so you can slot an adult next to a child when Mm. they're um build you know making a campfire or collecting Mm -hmm. wood uh, in a way that you can't if you're sat in the cinema together or you know you're at a fun fair and there's flashing lights and loud noise everywhere and so you can have very therapeutic conversations in a way that feels very low-key to the children Mm -hmm. so whereas many of our children who've had huge amounts of trauma in their lives would just find being in one-to-one therapy and a a kind of face-to-face conversation too, too much. Yes. Um, gentle yeah. conversation alongside mm. an adult that they trust, while both of you work together to mm-hmm. build a shelter or yeah. a canoe along a, a river, um, works brilliantly. Yeah. Um, and so that, for us, I guess, has been mm. the real driver for, for yeah. using using the natural and world.
0: I guess their natural um, inner guards come down more in that situation, and also that they're with peers. Of their age, and and so it makes that conversation much more relaxed and yeah. easy than it would be sitting in a room like this, or yeah. in an office in <laughs> in Waterloo, um, with the, you know across a desk with the child, or even in soft furnishing with the child. Exactly. It just wouldn't be the same. Yeah, situation.
2: And I think the children just like most of us find that they get a real sort of sense of relaxation from being mm-hmm. out of the city you know they mm-hmm. often say oh it's so quiet here or yeah. wow there's so much space you know children who've never really seen an uninterrupted mm-hmm. horizon because they're used to big blocks everywhere yeah. um you can you can see over the course of a few days out in nature how they relax and you know, physically the way they walk and the way they sort of hold themselves changes, yeah. um, which is amazing.
0: Yeah, and that's probably just a natural human reaction. Exactly. Isn't it? Yeah. Which is what they should all we should all be getting exactly. is that more natural feeling of yeah. being out of the, the built environment. Yeah. Um talking about the do, Taking the children out into the countryside. Are any of them ever like scared stiff? <laughs> you know, being out <laughs> in the dark and in an open space. Yeah, so, yeah.
2: yeah. I mean, I think the, the the pro the projects come with so many you know brilliant moments, but they yeah. are also quite nerve wracking for the children. And a uh-huh. lot of the children say to us, you know, um, I'm going to use this opportunity and I'm going to I'm going to really push myself to do new things. Um, mm. And I think you know as you say, the kind of strange noises in the countryside, Mm. we normally on our projects, um, we do some projects that are entirely under canvas um, but most of our projects involve at least one night's camping which is normally completely new to the children when they first come to us and that's often one that um, children are very nervous about in advance yeah. and you know if they hear a fox in the night or mm-hmm. um, often I, I get a message to say oh we're a bit cold can somebody bring us some hot chocolate and so I'll sort of go down <laughs> through the woods with my torch and a flask of hot chocolate and I'll hear them before I see them and they'll all say oh, what's that, Who's got it? What's <laughs> what's going on so there's yeah. lots of that um sort of um you know being out of their comfort mm. zone but actually in a way that's that's positive and that's stretching and that's allows mm-hmm. them to come back feeling like they've really achieved things yeah the same with sort of climbing climbing up onto a big a big climbing wall or um, mm-hmm. doing a high ropes course or getting on a horse all of those things usually involve an element of um of stretch and of mm-hmm. challenge yeah um but that's really good it really builds resilience and mm-hmm. means that children come back feeling mm. much more capable in terms of what they can do
0: yeah uh, can we talk a little bit about some of the um, problems that children have and the type of family or non-family lives yeah. that they they lead
2: yeah so um we say to uh, social workers in schools and others that refer children to us that the child should be uh, struggling either at home at school or in their relationships with others Mm -hmm. and that they they um, wouldn't have a safe place to play or a a holiday if Mm -hmm. they weren't working with us during a school break Mm -hmm. Um, so that's kind of our quite broad referral criteria for children in reality uh, the children that we tend to have referred to us have often got Many of those issues going on in a kind of very tangled up way. Right. So there usually tends to be a whole load of um, kind of practical poverty and disadvantage and difficulty. So mm-hmm. um, most, if not all, of the families have got low income and are struggling to make ends meet and put mm-hmm. food on the table. And uh, there just isn't money in the in the family to pay for trips out or mm-hmm. um, lots of kind of toys or after school. Uh, activities. Um, But as well as that, there's often other issues within the family. So many children will have witnessed domestic uh, Mm -hmm. abuse within their their lives to either themselves or to other family members. Many will have parents or siblings or other family members with some level of mental health difficulty or physical health difficulty. Mm -hmm. Some will be young carers for parents or siblings. Um, Often children have got big traumas in their past whether that's histories of abuse or neglect which has meant that in some cases they've been removed from parents care mm-hmm. or whether that is bereavements. Um, I think when we did our statistics uh, a couple of years ago a third of the children that we worked with had, had a significant bereavement All right. um, and, and of course this year we're seeing uh, more difficult situations mm. than ever with the pandemic so Back last July, we we surveyed the families that we, we worked with and 12% of them had lost a close relative due to COVID. Really? Um, wow. And that was only after the first wave. So, mm-hmm. you know, we could safely assume that that statistic yeah. has, has increased. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and some of the sort of referrals we get this year, we're... We, we sort of felt like we'd kind of see most most things having worked with children for um many years, but referrals this year just seemed to be more harrowing and, and difficult than, than ever, mm-hmm. um which which we guess is this is this sense of tension building up mm-hmm. many of our families live in um, very cramped conditions in high-rise blocks so often we'll have families with three children and one or two parents all mm-hmm. living in a one-bedroom flat with no garden space often not even a table that children can work from
1: mm-hmm. uh,
2: children sharing beds or um, certainly bedrooms with, um, with two or three siblings and um, and I guess when you couple that with all of the other difficulties that um, their families are often already facing, yeah. it must just be, um, it must just have been horrendous the last yeah. year. It's been bad enough for those of us with the space and the resource to sort no. of find ways to protect our our mental health yeah. and our well-being. So for, for It me, makes
0: whinging about getting one lot of exercise a day seem really exactly, stupid yeah. when they haven't even got a space to go in. Yeah. Do an exercise or the exercise is a walk to Aldi. Yeah, yeah. And so,
2: I think I really feel for many of, many of the parents that we work with, you know, many of them don't have lots of devices. So they've been stuck no. really very isolated, unable to, for many of them their their ways of connecting with their support networks have completely disappeared yeah. uh you know mums have said to us well i've got one friend and that's a, that's the person that i rely on uh, i'm not in touch with anybody else in my family i don't have anybody else that is able to support me but because mm-hmm. that friend hasn't been able to come around to the house or i've not been able to to meet up with her because she's in a different household it's mm-hmm. been um I've not had any space from kind of just constantly trying to support the children and worrying about money and all of the other issues.
0: Mm. And I guess that some of these children are uh, exposed to abuse as well. Yeah. Drug and alcohol and and make it really hard to get out of that, break that cycle, I guess.
2: Yeah, yeah, we've had um, very, very sadly, we've had a number of children whose uh, family situation at home has just broken down completely during uh, COVID, who've Mm -hmm. been taken into foster care and we've had others that have been running away from home quite regularly to get away from the difficulties Mm -hmm. within the home. It's it's been very, very challenging.
0: Yeah. And so do you find that um, once the children have been on a free-to-be kids weekend or, or even a break, I know you do stuff in London, you know, like cookery groups or things like that, where they learn to use the food and create, cook their own. Um, Do you find that they just can't wait to get back to another one or that they always want to... Come as often as possible. Yeah.
2: Yeah, the the most we give all of the children a, a little sort of feedback sheet to complete for us at the end of their project to tell mm. us any suggestions they've got about how we can make the projects better. And the number one thing is always that they should be longer and that there should be more of them. Yeah. Um and, you know, I think we really see Many of our young people who've been on a journey with us all the way through and are now sort of in their teenage years and yeah. uh, volunteering with us, uh, working with the younger children mm-hmm. just speak so you know they can remember every detail of the first trip they came on when they were eight, who their helper was and what mm-hmm. they had for their dinner on the first night and which competition they won during the week that they yeah. were with us and I think um, I think sometimes we're just so head down and busy organizing things and mm-hmm. doing the logistics that we sometimes forget about the level of impact the projects yeah, have on the children. Just
0: that one. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I'm I'm from a like a fairly privileged background, but our school had a um outward bound centre with three other comprehensive schools. Um, and I was lucky enough to go three times on those, including at school holidays. And it had such an impact. I mean, this is why I do what I do now I guess and why I love being out running in the mountains and and it was from that early age I don't know 11 or something whenever I first went and they do it really registers with you and I think it shapes you right from that point then yeah and and also you know at the time a lot of the teachers that I didn't get on with I realise now that were actually taught me loads right and it was nothing to do with real um schooling you know educational schooling it was more to do with with exposing myself to the risks or to... Um, finding out more about myself at that age, and that's so yeah. important, isn't
2: it? Yeah, them. yeah, it really is. Mm. And I think the other thing that we try very hard to do on our projects is to really create a sense of nurture. Yeah. So, um, all of the spaces, one of our requirements is that we the spaces must feel really warm and welcoming, and they must be full of lots of kind of soft furnishings and bright mm. pictures and things that just make children feel really sa- safe and really welcomed yeah. because we're home maybe sometimes isn't for some mm-hmm. of our children safe and welcoming yeah it's important that they've got that space with us and, and I think that idea of coming back even though they might be going to different uh, different places with us around the around the country yeah. each project has that consistent sense of nurture and, and mm-hmm. so many children begin to see us as a bit of a second home
0: yeah and where are those places where do you like to take them to
2: so well, until until this year, actually, excitingly this year, we're starting to work with children in Birmingham as well. But until this oh, right. year, wow. Um, wow. we've only worked in London. And mm-hmm. many because many of our families would struggle to get children to a meeting point, we just remove any kind of barrier around transport. Um, so we pick up children in our minibuses. Right. So we'll go directly to their door and pick them up. So because of that, logistically... There's only a certain distance Mm -hmm. out of London that we can get without them being in a minibus all day. So we tend to work within this sort of donut that's about two hours drive outside of London. So we've done lots of stuff down in Ashdown Forest in Sussex. We do uh, lots of stuff in the New Forest, Mm -hmm. lots of stuff up in the Cotswolds. Uh, Um, With some of the older children, we've gone a bit further afield. So we've Mm -hmm. gone um, out into Gloucestershire and the Forest of Dean. Yeah. and with the Birmingham that's children great. we're up in the peak district. Yeah, well that's park, great. Really great.
0: I mean, I was gonna say you you know, at some point they might be able to get to the mountains but yeah. it's a bit of a trip. <laughs> yeah, I wonder how they react to a mountain. You know, that would be <laughs> great. Um, so um, free to be kids itself, how do you raise money or, or are there corporations that get behind this? Uh, you know, is it or is it just about fundraising?
2: so um well i guess we're small but growing so we, mm-hmm. we started off very simply crowdfunding so the first year that we existed none of us were taking a salary at this stage we just sort of popped up a crowdfunder and said we need yeah. seventeen thousand pounds to take all of these children away on holiday and prove that wow. the concept works yeah. and um you know amazingly people people stumped up and found the money for us and then from there we've grown so we do have some um, amazing corporate supporters now who mm-hmm. um who give us uh some money we also work with lots of trusts and foundations and um, organisations like uh, the Young Londoners Fund, which is Sadiq Khan's um, initiative to reduce knife crime and um, right. and um, mm-hmm. issues with criminal justice with young people in London. Mm-hmm. Um, but we also still very heavily rely on amazing people that uh, give us money, that go off and do brilliant fundraising mm-hmm. events like like you're doing, mm-hmm. um, and um, our volunteers are brilliant ambassadors as well. Mm-hmm. So they're when they're not on our projects, they're often all out there spreading the word and mm-hmm. you know putting on cake sales and yeah. um, it's. I think. Uh, at, at times running the, running the charity feels like a real slog and we sort of sit there and think, oh, how are we going mm. to solve these problems and make things happen for the children? And our supporters and our volunteers who are out there with sort of faith in the idea and, and, a, and a real desire to help us just hugely drive us on because mm. we're always just stunned with their generosity and their creativity and finding mm. ways to, to raise money for the children.
0: That's fantastic. How many volunteers do you have?
2: So, well, it's growing very rapidly. So we, we, last count, we had about 200, but we're hoping to run uh, lots of projects this summer if, if everything goes to plan with the easing mm-hmm. of restrictions. And so I would imagine that we're probably on around 300 by now.
0: Wow. Yeah. That's incredible. I just, I just love the fact that there are that many people that would get involved. Yeah. You know, free... Free time, yeah involved with the children. That's yeah. brilliant. Are they all from London? Are no, they, no, yeah.
1: all
2: over the place. I think mm. that's one of the one of the brilliant strengths that the volunteer mm. team bring because they come from all different walks of life. Some of them are students, others are CEOs of finance companies, and mm-hmm. uh, stand up comedians and artists, really? and oh, we've got fantastic. you know any any career that you can think of i'm sure we've got somebody involved in it and for the children that's amazing yeah that is yeah the diversity yeah
0: yeah yeah they can get told jokes (laughs) (laughs) that's brilliant and um so did you find that um there were more volunteers because of the pandemic
2: yeah we really have so um people have really got in touch over the last year and a half mm-hmm. or so to ask how they can help i think the fact that we've all had a bit of a taster of, of how difficult it is being yeah. kind of really stuck and isolated at home um has maybe has maybe kind of um tapped into people's uh, imagination and their thoughts about supporting children mm-hmm. for whom that's their everyday reality yeah um so we've had lots of people getting in touch and and um I, over the last year, we obviously haven't been able to run residentials, but we've had lots of volunteers come along and help us offer day trips for the children and uh, you know sign up to support in other ways. Yeah. Um, so it will be great to get back outdoors with lots of them again. Yeah, yeah,
0: it will be. Yeah, <laughs> fantastic. And just in terms of the actual child's um, progress when they're in the system, whatever that is, I don't fully understand that, but um, obviously they're monitored by... The local authority is it, or the you know, that once they're in this system of care,
2: once they're working with a social worker, for example, yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah. So, uh, how's the free to be kids relationship in that part of that monitoring? Are you you in it the whole time through their life, their young life, or
2: yeah? So, well, I suppose um, often we're taking referrals in from somebody within the system that's working with the child whether that's um, somebody that's providing lots of extra support to them through school or whether that's that the, the um, family situation is is such that um, people are worried enough that a child mm-hmm. has, a, has a social worker assigned Um, And so often the initial referrals come from those people. And I think the real challenge at the moment, both for uh, social workers and and teachers and other people working within social care, Mm -hmm. is just the the volume of of need. So, you know, Mm -hmm. we're seeing uh, waiting levels for children's mental health services and kind of uh, the... The sort of thresholds at which a child might be assigned a social worker have just rocketed in mm-hmm. the last ten years, um, and and are going up all the time, and, and will go up again because of COVID. Yeah. Um, so often, those professionals that are supporting the children just simply don't have the time or space or resource yeah. to do the amount of work with the children that they would previously have been mm-hmm. able to do. And so, I suppose our role becomes then working alongside that and figuring out what we can add. Mm-hmm. And that fact that we spend so much time alongside the children and get to know them so well and essentially live with them for a week and and mm-hmm. see what their strengths are and, and and what happens when they get angry or upset or mm-hmm. they need extra support that's all hugely useful to feed back into the system
1: right.
2: so while we're working with a child we're often feeding in feed, yeah. we, we always feed back to so the professionals I was going to say do you have
0: them. reports as it yeah. were that go in with whatever um documentation there is on the child is that all part of your
2: yeah remit so So. we feed back after every project Mm. to the to the team working with the children either at school or or within um, social services and Mm. then as we're such a tiny team and you know we want to be doing more of this work but often where there's a child that we're working particularly closely with or a family we're working particularly closely with we'll be brought in to attend um, meetings with the professionals who are working with them and um, often we can bring quite a lot of value because we've often seen a different side to the child than many others, many other professionals have and and we've also often got a different relationship with their parents I was going to
0: say what about the parenting side I guess you were able to give a lot to that feedback to the parent on what the child was like away and how
2: exactly yeah. yeah and and I suppose as well our, our relationship is often you know we're not having to be kind of combative with the parent whereas mm. a social worker might be having to say yeah. various things at home need to change yeah. or you know mm-hmm. having lots of quite tough conversations about things that are going on yeah. we're able to come in and and in a way concentrate on all the positives and yeah. um, and that's really important because I think many of our families feel quite beaten down by the system so mm-hmm. to have an ally and. And, you know, obviously, that's not to say that if there isn't an issue, we don't raise it because we, we always would, and, and the mm-hmm. child's safety and, and safeguarding is always paramount. But I think having us as a relation in a, as a different type of relationship mm-hmm. uh, is really helpful to support families to then engage better and more with the yeah. other professionals working with them.
0: Yeah, that's fantastic to feel a part of that process as yeah. well. I must make you know, you've got to get some job satisfaction out of what you do exactly. besides just seeing smiling faces I guess <laughs> and so the progress has got to be really good
2: yeah, yeah yeah and particularly I think when we you know some of our young leaders who are absolutely exceptional and, and come away and give us five days of their time
1: mm-hmm. doing
2: exactly the same job as our adults volunteers and Mm. you know in many cases doing it better than most of us (laughs) (laughs) you know that's phenomenal because Mm. many of them are young people who've been excluded from school who've never been Mm. given any level of responsibility and yet because we've spent so much time with them and because the setting works for them Mm. we can see their potential and um so to to see the journey that many of those young people have been on is is really um inspirational for yeah. us
0: yeah that is fantastic yeah i think that whole cyclical thing that they can actually come in, in really really bad position right at the start and then go right through with free to be kids and then actually come out leading at the other end is, is brilliant yeah absolutely fantastic so um what's the future what i mean obviously you want to grow and help as many as possible but yeah. you know what's the reality is it a step by step or do you yeah. have a have a game plan where so, you're
2: going? Well, I guess the one of the big challenges for us is fundraising. So yeah. you know, we're a team of we're currently a team of four, uh, soon to mm-hmm. be a team of five. Uh-huh. Um, but all of us spend most of our time working directly on, on supporting the children in one way or another. So right. we don't have a kind of backroom team that are sitting there yeah. constantly yeah. writing yeah. grant applications. Yeah. Exactly.
1: Yeah.
2: Yeah. Um, and, and 98% of the money that we bring in goes directly on the children. So we don't mm-hmm. really, we don't want to be in a position where we've got a huge overhead that's being yeah. spent on back yeah. office operations. Mm-hmm. Um, but the limit always is, is the amount of money that we can raise. Mm-hmm. So, you know, our aim is to grow our team. If we had more people in the team, it would allow us to run mm-hmm. more projects um, yeah. at the same time. The other sort of aim for the next five years is that we would really like our own base somewhere in the mm-hmm. countryside, uh, mm-hmm. just outside of London, because that would allow us to expand our residential work from beyond just the school holidays that would be fantastic and we could run things Mm. at weekends Mm. we could run after school activities um Mm -hmm. you know the the potential if we had our own base would would uh really grow and allow us to do lots more of that ongoing work for Mm. the children that really need it
0: yeah yeah that would be incredible so the sort of place you'd rent for the weekend or whatever or the week in the new forest you'd like something like that on yeah. The edge of London.
2: yeah well that would be the ultimate aim although um, we've sort of been looking at property prices for a place <laughs> like that and it's a bit out of our reach at the moment yeah. um, but the other option that we're looking at is whether we could find a piece of land that we could uh, you know lease or mm-hmm. buy or get some sort of peppercorn rent on yeah. where we could create almost like a kind of uh Uh, a camp really that we could that we could have that was sort of semi-permanent so
1: Mm. I think many of
2: our children struggle with camping because of all Mm. the extra logistics and sort of uh, you know there's a lot of extra thinking they need to do they can't just Mm. dump their clothes on the floor because they'll (laughs) end up wet so (laughs) you know things like that and having bathrooms that still work for the children will be important Mm. but we think that there's a happy medium where we could get some kind of safari tents and have them raised on platforms mm. and have some really nice compost loos and a, and a big kind of, yeah. uh, barn or similar where we could do Fantastic. activities if it yeah. rained.
0: Yeah. There must be a landowner out there somewhere who's well, generously Fingers
2: crossed, crossed <laughs> so, <yeah>. they listening. <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. You don't need a huge amount, do you? To, no. Yeah. Uh, well, that's brilliant, Rachel. It's been lovely to meet you and actually hear the story, um, of what goes on, and obviously I want to stay in touch throughout this process, and hopefully it'll be next time we will maybe be able to be on a camp with yeah, the children or something, would great, which would yeah. be really great to hear their view on things. Um But until then, thank you very much.
2: Thank you for all that you're doing for <laughs> Not us. At
0: all. <laughs> Well, thanks for listening to Rachel all the way through that interview. And uh, I'm sure you can appreciate the work that they do is so important. So if you'd like to go to Virgin Money, giving forward slash Kevin month One and make a donation to the charity via my uh, Virgin Money page. And um, if you're a major landowner around London somewhere and you have a piece of spare land that you think would be ideal for a children's camp, then that would be a wonderful thing to do, to donate to them. Feel free to go straight to Free To Be Kids and uh, make a wonderful gesture for children in the future. Well, good morning. We just started out from support point uh, on day 2 which is checkpoint 7 and we're now working our way up to the first of the Rhinogs, uh heading up towards the Roman Steps and uh, we actually had a lovely stay in Harlick last night in uh, Castle Cottage Hotel or pub uh, and cabbed it up here this morning rather than run up here five miles which was all uphill from Harlech I'm talking to you at the bottom of Rinog Fire now, we've been over the top but it was too windy up the top to record um, and uh Quite a climb up. We made a m- big mistake on the just off the Roman steps following the GPX. Far too tight, too high up at the mountain. One thing to watch with the GPX that I hadn't taken into consideration is on the really steep elevation where the contour lines are really close together. The trail is further away than you think because it's down below you. Um, so you've got a bit of descending to get back on the track if you lose it. Um, you do not have to lose it by much. And then once you come off over Rinog Far, actually it took us an hour and 35 to get up there because we'd made such a mistake. Um, and that's at about 2,300 and odd feet. And then uh, you come over the top of there and down a very boulder-strewn descent that's very slow. took us ages to clamber down through there. A lot of the rock is loose all the time. Um, I guess there's people that run that stuff, but not for me. Um, And now we're down the bottom, but so far that took us about an hour off the top from the trig point. So, so far we're 2.34 in. So we're exactly, uh, yeah, two hours and 34 minutes in and we've done four miles. So it is slow. So if you're getting out of the Kumbukan checkpoint, you need to really get going Uh, to get back in time, I would think, especially for people at the back of the pack. Sorry, I'm not painting a good picture of this, but I'm trying to be realistic about it and realistic about my own chances. Well, we've reached the top of Fah after a long climb up, as you would expect. Uh, it's 712 metres up here, uh, 2,300 and odd feet, I think. And it's a beautiful day still. Great time to be up here. Fantastic views. Um, it took us three hours and 20 minutes to get here so far, and we've only covered just over five miles. Uh, so it's going to be quite a trek out but I think there's quite a bit of running once we get to checkpoint 11 anyway Uh, so we've got E. E Lathair to do and Dwyphus and then it's uh, down to checkpoint 11 so we're now at checkpoint 9 so Dwifus is checkpoint 10 and then we're at, at the forest at checkpoint 11 so talk to you later we've had a bit of lunch we're running a bit behind schedule But uh, hopefully we can make it up on the running, the more runnable bits, further down near, um, where are we going? (laughs) Forgotten. Near, oh. It's all Welsh to me. (laughs) It's all Welsh to you. It's all Welsh to me, yeah. Uh, Dolgethlau, yay, I thought of it. So we've just hit the main track now out of the woodland heading back towards Vanna Camp and do and it's time to catch up with Liz and then Lizzie this is your first real experience of mountain running (laughs) isn't it?
1: Absolutely, my very very first time with that amount of elevation that technicality and my goodness me (laughs) thats you've got to be hard as nails to do this race I've already established the fact no way could I do this race (laughs) Uh, I have absolutely loved every single bit of it but it is so like yeah you've got to physically there's no cutting corners you know how loads of people will say things like well myself included oh I've entered an ultra with no training and you can do it (laughs) if you enter this and you haven't trained or you're not fit no way. Yeah. <laughs> there is no like I couldn't have done what we've done over two days. I couldn't see myself doing that in a single day. Right. So I'm um, hats off to Kev. I think he's an absolute legend. Yeah. And that's day two. Yeah. <laughs> day one's harder.
0: <laughs> I, I'm not a legend until I've actually well, done it. Well, that's the race. true.
1: <laughs> yeah. So, I'll
0: take legend if I finish.
1: Yeah. But seeing him on the it's the ascent and the descent, you know, because that's something I'm not used to doing. To um, so seeing Kev disappear off into the distance like a whippet <laughs> up and down <laughs> the hills, it really just shows, yeah, the difference between having trains for the elevation and not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, and um, so
0: um, yesterday you said... If I'm a dragon in training, what are you, a gecko? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> do, you, how do you do? You still feel like a gecko or is there well, any chance?
1: I feel, to be honest, uh, I sort of feel like there's not a lot of people could just turn up and... Uh, what we've done, I think, is exceptional. Yeah. I feel really, really proud of myself, but also really appreciative of how awesome <laughs> the... Guys are who complete that race and complete it with hours, you know. Yeah, they're at the checkpoints with hours to spare. Um, I just the mind boggles how they can move as quickly as they must be across that terrain. (laughs) If you enter this race and you haven't like given it some serious thought and got the training in you. You're a wally, <laughs> because you're not going to do it. <laughs> so in fact, when you and I have, I think our very first conversation was around the dragon's back, because I said I was thinking of entering, yeah, and you were so tactful, but you basically said, you're not good enough, don't do it. <laughs> you didn't quite say it directly like that, but because if you watch the promo videos, it just looks incredible yeah but having done day two over two days yeah
0: (laughs) yeah it sort of shows you that mountain ultra is something altogether different and you can do your with all due respect you can do your centurion hundreds and all these other things but they're nothing compared to doing any sort of day in the mountains
1: yeah two valuable bits of uh Advice there, one from Kev hold the heather and don't look down. (laughs) Uh, And my personal tip is if in doubt, adopt the uh, glutes bridge position and crawl downwards (laughs) like some kind of weird crab. Uh, And you feel very safe when you do that.
0: (laughs) Well, it's been great fun, Lizzie.
1: Thank you. And uh, I hope, I
0: hope. You, we can tie up things to do another one yeah. but I don't know if things will work out but I'm guessing that day four through the Elam Valley and day five over the Breckens would be much more doable anyway for you yeah. <laughs> get regular up-to-date news, free advice and motivation for ultra running. Subscribe to the Aid Station podcast through Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts or any of your other favourite podcast libraries. You can also get Aid Station via www.aidstation.co.uk. Also, please see the show notes below for the episode to find the links to all the mentioned recommendation and events. I hope you enjoyed this edition of Aid Station and if you did, please leave a review and subscribe.